0: SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for AAC football. We are at our final episode for our team previews for the 2021 season for the AAC. And we finish our season previews uh, off with the Tulane Green Wave, a team that many people believe is going to be a surprise team in the conference. So we'll dive into what is to like about Tulane, some of the games that we're excited for, and maybe some concerns that we have for this program, at least for this season. I am your host as usual, Joe Broback. That is Dan Morrison. Uh, This is uh, our final episode together um, I have moved on to Pro Football Network, so I will no longer be on the podcast. But don't worry, we have more AAC action coming your way, uh, Dan, and, and another host who you'll you'll hear from in a little bit. I'm not going to steal her thunder. Um, she will introduce herself when time comes. But there's a lot to like about this podcast going forward, especially in 2021 season. So AAC is not going anywhere. There's plenty of plenty of information, plenty of episodes coming in the future. Uh, and I know Dan, you'll, you'll do a great job uh, with, with the future of, of this podcast.
1: Yeah. And I think the important thing to remember is that I wouldn't leave anyone
0: hanging. I just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't leave anyone hanging. I, I, this has been something I told you. You left I the fans hanging. You <laughs> left the community
1: hanging. You left who you left everyone out.
0: Well, I, I underdog. No, Podcast I, Nation, I apologize if I felt if you felt <laughs> like I left you hanging. No, uh, no. And, you
1: you did it the right way. I'm behind the scenes though. Yeah,
0: I uh, I just yeah I I didn't feel right. Uh, you know, I've obviously already started at Pro Football Network, but yeah. uh, just uh, to me, it doesn't feel right to just up and leave, especially something that's you know, if it was a bad situation, then I would have just yeah. been like, I'm done. But no. it's been good. Undrafted Dynasty is been uh you know it was was my first real writing gig if you will uh it really got me into the college football writing game expanded uh my following the community that i've met uh through through underdog dynasty has been incredible and none of my coverage for this conference is going away it's just i'm gonna be writing for a different site is all so uh nothing's really gonna change other than the Articles that I'm going to be writing is going to be for a different site as well, so I'm really not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great opportunity for you, and like you said, Underdog dynasty he's been great to both of us. So I don't think that we're going to begrudge anyone if we have a better opportunity. It's not a no hard feeling situation.
0: Nah, it's uh, it's been a, it's been great. It's still a great site. Love everything that they've done and what they continue to do. Uh, AAC obviously has grown in the years since I've been there, and Obviously, since you've been there too, uh, yeah, I've so been it, here in a couple of years now. Exactly, yeah. So it's it's grown quite a bit, and you know they do conference USA and the Sun Belt as well. So it's been cool to see how those have expanded too. Uh, and I think that the love that these smaller conferences get is important to college football. To me, you're not a true college football fan if all you pay attention to is the Power Five you're just missing out on an experience that is college football. And to me, if you're just a power five, uh, fan, then you're essentially just, you honestly, you're just an NFL fan because that's essentially what you're doing. You're just limiting your experience. College football is fun, especially like Tuesday night match. If you will. Uh, I think that you're missing out if you're not watching those kind of games, the AAC obviously has. Awesome. It's great games too. We're gonna to talk about one of them in a little bit here, but yeah, it's yeah. been it's been fun.
1: Yeah, if you're not like me watching every UMass game every year, you're not a real fan of college football in the whole. Uh,
0: well, I guess I'm not a fan, a true <laughs> fan of college football because <laughs> I do not watch every single UMass game out of They're my, fun. you know, They're just fun. to keep my sanity. I mean, I
1: root for UMass, but you don't have to to watch them and have a fun time. I'll watch. I'll, I'll be a box score checker. A box scorcher. All right. Well, you remember me when they're only losing by 30 to Maine. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Over under UMass, one and a half this year, knowing they play two FCS games plus Mm. UConn and New Mexico State. Nice.
0: Nice. I think they might. uh,
1: Eastern Michigan from the MAC. I don't know. I don't think they're going to lose. I was going to say, I don't think they're lucky enough to have Akron or Bowling Green on the schedule this year. They'd probably still lose those they beat Akron last time they played them. So take it back. That's the one win of Walt Bell's tenure. Nope. Nope. They're going to lose one in 15. I think Walt Bell isn't, it was a win over
0: Akron. I I think UMass has gotten more coverage on the AAC podcast than any other podcast ever. Yeah, it happens. Shoot. You, UMass hockey has gotten more coverage on uh, a college, this college football podcast than any other college football podcast
1: back to back frozen Four appearances reigning national champions.
0: Well, anyways, we're here to talk about Tulane, <laughs> if you couldn't tell Obvious. already.
1: Obviously. Yeah,
0: obviously, from all of that, you know, here we're here to talk about Tulane. Uh, you know, Willie <laughs> Fritz, answers, right a big year for them. Typically, this is a team that is predicted to win anywhere between five and seven games. Feels like they're always in that five and seven, six and six, seven to five range anyways, no matter who the, what their schedule is, who they play. But I think that this year... Uh, there is potential for them to be a conference contender. I think. I think that they have the talent to do that. Obviously, some bounces have to go their way. That's always part of it. But I think, if anything, they'll be the most proved team in the conference. Uh, one thing that we were talking about before, which we're not going to dive into quite yet, is that they just might not have the wins to show it, uh, to show for it. You know. So we'll we'll dive into some things that or a reason why we like this team a lot more than we did in the past year and I think that we might as well just start with the obvious and that's Michael Pratt the quarterback who started as a freshman last year kind of saved the offense if you will early in the mm-hmm. season. Uh, I think that he is projected to take another step in his development as a sophomore and you know last year he threw 20 touchdowns and just eight interceptions. At times obviously he looked like a freshman but I think that he learned a lot and and I liked the flashes that I did see from him. I think that's what a lot of people are seeing. That's why he's projected to have such a better year. But I mean, what are your thoughts for him going into 2021?
1: Yeah, I really like Michael Pratt. I put him probably as the fourth or so quarterback in the conference. If you're going to rank him down a list, Gabriel Ritter, Mordecai Pratt. I think about there. I think you can make Obviously arguments here and there, but that's about
0: Nailers, How dare you? Too
1: inconsistent. Be can be more consistent at this point in your career. That's I like Holton Ailers. I like this isn't an ECU talk. This is a 2 talk that we're doing. Hey, we talked about UMass. We can make it ECU too. Okay. Holton Ailers needs to be more consistent. He hasn't done that for three years now. That that's back fair. to Michael Pratt. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, he was clearly a freshman last year. Uh, Just the way they lost to Tulsa is how a freshman loses a football game for you. It's unfortunate, but that's what it is. And it's a growing pain season in a lot of ways for Tulane where they didn't get the bounces they needed to go their way to take that next step forward in the win column. It's not the end of the world. They still made a bowl game. They still had a pretty good year. And Pratt showed his potential. With experience, you don't throw pick sixes in overtime. It's just kind of one of those things. Zayvon Collins isn't going to be there either to throw that pick six against. Those things help uh, Yeah, I expect him. He's athletic. He's got a good arm. He's just going to have to get a little bit better with his decision making, and that's just reps. I, I think he's going to take a nice step forward.
0: Yeah, I think he is one of those where, I mean, you look at a freshman who starts a year like that, and honestly, I didn't realize that he had 20 touchdowns last year because most of the There's time... a bigger number than you. But yeah and most of the time freshmen, it feels like no obviously we didn't have an entire season last year but you feel like they throw for about 1500 yards and they throw for 12 mm-hmm. touchdowns and eight picks or something like yeah. that and you're just like okay well they're freshmen whatever mm-hmm. but when i went back and looked and i saw 20 i almost i refreshed my page first because i was like there's no way through 20 touchdowns and he did and a big reason for that is obviously he's very talented but the talent that he has around him and especially the talent he has returning is obviously a big factor in that as well. Now you get the entire offensive line back Uh, sincere Hainsworth is the center. He's the go-to guy, if you will Uh, he and Corey Dublin, who i I guess you put both of them there solid Uh, but uh, like i said all five guys are back that's huge seems to be a trend in this conference just because of the covid getting or the covid extra year of eligibility uh but then if you look at skill positions there's a lot to like about what tulane has returning and even some of the transfers they got are exciting as well
1: yeah no i love their receiving core it's top to bottom, one of the better receiving cores in the conference and one of the better proven ones. You know, you've got two and Fat Watts. I really like Jaquan Jackson as an all-around kind of versatile receiver that they can get to in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, what do you think of Tyreek James, the tight end?
0: Um, I think that he's underutilized, but that's mostly because they had a freshman quarterback last year and mm-hmm. that does, them, the, you know, I think that this year we'll actually get to see what Tyreek James is all about. I think that he has a ton of potential uh, yeah. as a pass catcher. I'm not really sure what he can do in the blocking side of yeah. things, uh, That's what uh, but I, I think, that, say. yeah, like he, I think he could be really good. Maybe. I like him as under, a big outside threat, especially in the red zone for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think he could be really good for them, especially if Pratt takes a step. I think that means that he's going through his progressions well and more guys like, like James and then even Michael Jones will get more touches. Everybody will, but I think those two guys will put up bigger numbers because of that. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, the running backs, there's a little bit
1: more turnover at running back than wide receiver. They've uh, now that I'm blanking on the guy's
0: name who had to retire. Um, or yeah. Oh, the, is it? Um, yeah. Steven Hutterson or whatever his name was. Yeah. Is, the, is he, did you retire or do you transfer? Um, Mari Jones transferred to Georgia Southern. That's
1: that's who transferred. That's right. Yeah, I know. Mean,
0: might play play quarterback uh, for them? I saw, I, I saw him
1: taking snaps at quarterback. I mean, <laughs> it makes sense for what they do, especially with uh shy words leaving, but this is not a Georgia Southern podcast. I don't know enough about them to make it a Georgia Southern podcast.
0: We're going to reference all 130 teams in college football today, San Diego state. Oh, Next. Geez. All right. Back. <laughs> Back to two lane.
1: Yeah, they get Cam Carroll back. He's, I like him. He's a big back. Yep, yep. Yeah, he'll be I, he'll be solid. Uh, I'm trying to think of then uh, Jacob Brumfield is the Utah transfer coming in, who I don't know a ton about to be honest, but you know he brings a little bit more of a different look, a little extra potential to go. I mean, I lost the term. The uh, uh, it gives you the chance to give two looks at Ryan back. That's not the phrase I was looking for, but I drew a blank.
0: That's all right. There's a lot to like about this offense. The returning talent obviously speaks for itself. Even with running back and the turnover there, there's still uh, experience returning. I mean, Carroll almost led the team in rushing last year. He was very close to doing so. So it's he not like, like six yards a carry or something like that. Yeah, he's and He's running he's solid. I think that the, there's, you know, t- uh, they also get um, j Spears back. I think that mm-hmm. Tulane fans are very high on him. Very versatile weapon out of the backfield as if they needed more weapons. Uh, it's never hurts to have uh, too many guys. I mean, we just breeze past the fact that they have – two guys on their team one is named deuce and the other one's name is fat so and their brothers and their brothers they're just, i had two of the best names in college football uh yeah mm-hmm. i think they're they're also pretty deep at, at wide receiver and you mentioned Tyreek james that's another yeah, yeah another guy that's, that's gonna tie have yeah another yeah, pa- they've got depth, some like pass catcher
1: they've got some like their top six uh receivers returning from last season it's yeah. pretty crazy yeah
0: it's insane what they have Coming back, it's just uh,
1: it'll be interesting too because they've got new OC and Chip along to see what he does with everything.
0: Yep, and we'll see. Notre Dame fans know a lot about him. Memphis fans know about him, and we'll see what he can do with Tulane. I think that that's
1: going to be far under the Brian Kelly era. Chip Long has produced the best offenses Notre Dame has seen by kind of a mile, and they took a step back last year without him, but there's a reason why Notre Dame didn't retain him at the same time. It's he didn't play nice with others on that coaching staff.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see uh, how that works out. See what happens. You know, Willie Fritz has obviously gotten to where he's at because he knows how to build a program. He knows how to run a program. So he's, he's no fool. He's yeah. You're not going to get away with a lot of that stuff with, with Willie Fritz. So it's just, you gotta know your role and keep doing your role as best you can.
1: Yeah, I know. It's worth pointing out, though, how good Willie Fritz has been for Tulane. The twenty-nine and thirty-three record doesn't say at all. He's got the best winning percentage since Tommy Bowden, who was the coach who went undefeated in '98, and you know he's the first Tulane coach to, get him to three straight bowl games. That's worth pointing out how good of a job he's doing there. So even if the win total doesn't go up this year, he's still doing a very, very good job.
0: Yeah, and they've they've produced some NFL guys too. It's it's been a team mm-hmm. that's. Flown under the radar in Chicago. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Finally got him a quarterback that can throw him the football. Uh, So that helps. It just really stinks for Anthony Miller because they traded him to Houston before they even let him play with Justin Fields. So that's Mm -hmm. unfortunate. Uh, yeah, well, but this is not a Chicago Bears podcast so we can make it one though <laughs> but no they they've sent some guys to the league uh, most recently Cam Sample and Patrick Johnson who we talked okay. about and that kind of leads us into the defense which you look at the off- or the defensive line and they like you said they they lose Sample who was listed as a defensive end and Johnson might as well have been a defensive end though. He's listed as a linebacker kind of gave him that versatility. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see who steps up in their place. Uh, one guy that will definitely take one of their spots is Memphis transfer, Joseph Dorcius, uh, who also, if need be, can double as a fullback. Mm-hmm. We've seen his athleticism. We've yeah. seen his, his power in yeah. his game.
1: That was a surprising transfer to me to see him not only leave Memphis, but go to someone who Memphis plays usually a pretty close game against every year. So I was caught off guard a little bit there, but who knows? He's got his own reasons. I'm sure we talked about before transfers. We don't know the whole story. It's not worth guessing. Exactly.
0: Right. And I mean, his brother Dorland went to Memphis for his, college football career so i have to just assume that joseph would stay there as well but mm-hmm. he goes to tulane which i think that's a good fit for him good fit for tulane because they obviously needed a defensive end and a linebacker uh and they they get a really a big upgrade if you ask my opinion in dorsias uh another guy they get back at uh, jeffrey johnson at mm-hmm. nose tackle uh, flirted with the transfer portal for a little bit which was really going to be unfortunate because then they would have lost all of their talent on the defensive line, and now he's back. So, really, it's just a matter of finding a guy opposite of Dorseus. And then if I'm Tulane, honestly, I put as many of their linebackers on the field as I can because they are absolutely loaded at linebacker. I believe I had them number one on my position. Run that
1: that 3-4. Run that 3-4. Yep, because you have a lot of guys don't like a seven person box, so run that three three exactly.
0: Uh, because you get you know, Nick Anderson returns. Um, Dorian Williams is one of my favorite players in the conference. I think he's super good, tons of power in his game, but he's also super athletic where he can kind of be what Patrick Johnson was that for them last year. Uh, and then I'm blanking on Marvin Moody, Marvin Moody, that's who I'm thinking of that those are three of the best linebackers in the conference. I would, you, you, you'd be hard pressed to find outside of probably Cincinnati, a better trio of linebackers in the conference.
1: Yeah, no, I think you could make a good argument. They are the best grouping of linebackers in the conference. And before we move on past the defensive line too far, I want to go back and just say, I really like Angelo Anderson and his potential there. I think he could be the guy you put across from a Dorseyus for a lot of success.
0: Yeah, I think that people. I've heard a lot about him. I think people just slotted him in as next because the coaching staff really likes him uh, and what he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be a position that's going to be up for grabs. You, you know, I think Dorsey. I expect is- it to
1: be a uh, like most modern defensive lines. They got to have a two deep rotation. You right. just do. Yeah, it's just the where the game's at right now. You need to keep your pass rushes fresh. Exactly. Yep. So he'll see playing time whether he starts or not.
0: Yep. And that'll be a big key. Cause I obviously said linebackers are loaded. Uh, and then even the, the secondary, is, I, they're not loaded, but they're solid. Um, you get, you get a few guys back um, and then you add a transfer in, that's going to help them a lot, but this is a secondary that has obviously a, some work to do, but I think they're talented enough to compete yeah. in this conference.
1: Yeah, it, this is the danger zone for the two lane defense. So, is that if the secondary gets gashed for big plays in the passing game, teams won't have to run it into that linebacking core. You know, so you're going to want to well, you're going to want to take some pressure off the secondary by pass rushing well and not making them cover for three, four seconds because realistically, the athletes at an SMU or a UCF or a Memphis are too good to be covered all game long by these guys. It's not like it's Cincinnati secondary where they can go out and blanket you just isn't. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just don't get gashed on deep plays, make them paper cut you to death and make them try to go up the middle on your linebackers. And I think you've got a pretty solid defense from Tulane.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, Shoot. They got, uh, is it Jalen Monroe? I know I'm trying yeah, to think. that's what my notes say. So. The corner. Yeah. The corner who's, who's solid. I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's, he's definitely not one of the best in the conference, but he's, he's oh, a, good a good corner.
1: He's a good corner. I like you, but like I said, I don't know that I trust him to be able to keep up with a Jalen Robinson speed wise or a Reggie Roberson in, in just terms of talent position by position. You know, that's all
0: right. Yeah. And then you get a huge addition, in my opinion, in Darion Rakestraw from Colorado. I mean, he was starting for the Buffs last year, and he decides to transfer. So, again, it's, you know, a transfer from Colorado, take it with a grain of salt. But all I've heard from the coaching staff from all these reports is that he's having a great, or he had a great spring, and he's doing really well and fitting well into this defense. So he's another guy that I would say you're definitely going to have to watch. Uh, and I think that this Tulane defense will once again be solid. Uh, if anything, you just watch the linebackers and you get to watch the, the brilliance that is at that position because I think they're absolutely stacked on that side of the ball, uh, especially at linebacker. But I think that that leads us into our expectations for this year. And obviously there's you know there are challenges when it comes to Tulane Uh, You know, you have your, the academics and whatnot, but I think that this is a team that even with all their limitations, if you will, definitely has a chance to, like I said, I think that they can compete with the best in the conference. Now in the past, I haven't said that because I just thought that, you know, they're a team that's, yeah, yeah. there's just a talent gap. And sometimes the, the academic limitations will do that to you, but Mm -hmm. I don't see how this team doesn't compete with the best team in the conference. And if you're a Tulane fan, I think that should be your expectation because that's how good they can be. Now, is it going to happen? I'm not sure, but what are your expectations for this team?
1: I think this team is going to be the Best version of itself from the past four years when they went to a bowl game every year. I think they'll be better, the best out of those four teams. Unfortunately, I don't know how many wins that's going to translate to on the schedule because it just breaks really tough for them this year. So I think, again, they're going to be pushing around that six and six mark. And I think for a lot of Tulane fans, that's going to feel like you're not improving. But the truth is, sometimes that's just how the schedule is. I think this team playing the 2019 schedule, since that was a full season, not a weird COVID year. Goes like eight and four, nine and three. I think this year it's just, it's a real tough out of conference schedule. They've got a tough stretch during the middle of the year in conference. So they could win more games than that. I, you know, I like Tulane a lot. I hope they do win as many games as is capable for this program. But I just don't know that this is the year. I think 22 is the year you look at as the year Tulane can really break through and compete to actually win the conference, not just be a good team that
0: is a tough out for teams. Yeah, it's definitely elevating expectations for sure. Uh, And William Fritz obviously has done a great job of building this program to get to this point. And like you said, we talked about this before we started recording too, is like you said, the wins just might not be there to back it up. And when you look at the schedule, you quickly realize why that is the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the first game, we've been talking about this for a while. College football fans have been talking about this for a while. Tulane hosts Oklahoma. And let's just for the first second, let's just ignore the fact that that's definitely going to be a loss for Tulane. The fact that Oklahoma, who doesn't mm-hmm. really travel anywhere, because teams like Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, they don't go to places like Tulane. Now, I understand it's not like you know, Oklahoma playing North Dakota State. They're not going to NDSU. They're mm-hmm. it's, it's a little it's different. It's
1: school, but it's also like a thirty thousand person stadium,
0: right? And you just don't normally see that, just because there's a, probably a lot of Oklahoma fans that are going to want to go to the game, and that's obviously a limitation. And the nice thing is that I think the biggest thing is because even when you you looked at like when teams play Houston, so Texas Tech plays Houston this year. Or if you look at twenty sixteen, they. Oklahoma played Houston. They didn't play at Houston Stadium. They played at Energy Stadium. Now mm-hmm. it's essentially the same thing because it's like a few oh. miles away from this campus. But the nice thing about this game is they're not playing in the Saints Stadium. They're yes. playing at Tulane's home stadium.
1: It's at Yulman. It's not at the Superdome. That was the crux of Florida and UCF getting a game scheduled for. A couple of years there was, oh, no, we will not play at the Citrus Bowl. That will not count as our home game for UCF. And, well, we're not doing a home-and-home home if it's just the bounce house because it's too small for the precious Florida Gators to walk into, and that's a 45,000-person stadium. So, yeah, I really appreciate that Oklahoma's coming to this game. We talked a little bit last week about how it sucks when you play games like Tulsa at Ohio State where you know you're going to lose, and that does suck. This is a little bit different because if Ohio State was going to Tulsa, that would be really cool too. Oklahoma is coming to Tulane. It's not Tulane game paid 500 grand to go lose in Norman. And that's, I think, a very big thing for the conference. And you know what? Here's how Tulane beats Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley goes out on Bourbon Street the night before, has too many hand grenades, just sleeps in. He's a little bit groggy come game day. Spencer Rattler hits up some gumbo. He's got a little bit too much in the stomach. He's feeling a little bit like crampy during the day. And then it's like a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity and they just cramp up and they can't concentrate because it's too fun of a city to be in to play football. And just like that, Tulane, the more disciplined team goes out there and upsets Oklahoma.
0: Yeah. um, As much as I would love for that to happen, that's, it's not likely, Oh man, but you can't tell
1: me that Lincoln Riley's not going to be on Bourbon street the night before singing (laughs) with like some country cover band. Probably. That's that's true. That's what I expect him to do as a
0: professional. Well, and so, yeah, you know, like you said, probably going to be a loss. We'll follow up the next week with a hosting Morgan state, which will probably be a win. Then we get a road trip to Ole Miss another power five team on this schedule. um, I like this type of
1: power five team to play though for Tulane as a rule. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I wish Ole Miss wasn't so fun and explosive this year. Because in a normal year, I'd say Tulane has just as good a shot of beating them as anyone else, you know. But this Ole Miss team's probably gonna put up fifty plus points just because oh, yeah. that's who it's they are. Ross, I think there's a chance Tulane could turn into a shootout, though. Is I don't know that that Ole Miss defense has anything going yet. So no. I think that I think there's a chance Tulane, you know, makes it a fun shootout the safe money does bet on Ole Miss, but I think that Tulane, it's not zero shot.
0: No, it's more of a shot than it is. The only problem is it's on the road, but it's still yeah. a better well, shot than beating Oklahoma, no matter where you play at. So that's uh, probably a one and two start. That I, uh, odds would, you would definitely bet that that would happen. And then you get... Uh, uh, to host UAB, which we both talked about before, which it, or before we recorded, I should say, it's not exactly just an automatic win. That's definitely a tough Conference USA team to, to beat.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're probably the best run program, at least from a coaching and consistency perspective in the uh, Conference USA right now. You'd rather get a little bit of an easier CUSA game because there's no glory in beating a CUSA team from an American school. But they should beat UAB still. They're the more talented team overall.
0: Yeah, I agree. And even though you know, like you said, UAB you'd rather play Rice because they're an easy win, and
1: you know, you get the same amount of credit either way.
0: Right. Um, I mean, shoot, UAB won two of the last three Conference USA titles, and this was a team just a few years ago didn't even have a program, which is just insane. What? all the respect in the world for what they've done. It's a program that
1: I think they're building a new stadium now too. They're getting out of Legion field, which is kind of a dump nowadays.
0: Uh, So they're, they're definitely trending in the right direction. Yeah. They, they're headed in the right direction. But like you said, it's definitely a game that Tulane should win. Uh, And so that, that builds the momentum heading into conference play. And then the first game in the conference little bit of a tricky one, the head to Greenville to face ECU. Another game that could be a shootout, but I, I don't know what to expect from that. Uh, it really depends on where ECU is at at this point. Uh, Tulane's obviously the more consistent and the better team, but that's definitely a game that I could see ECU give them a little bit of trouble.
1: Yeah, I mean – I'm high on ECU this year. I am, which makes it hard for me to look at and not try to stick with that feeling of being high about them. But ECU absolutely is the better team. Uh, This is a Saturday game. So it's not going to have any of that weird Thursday night nonsense that can go on with it, which always throws teams off on a short week. They're going to get their full travel time. Uh, in a lot of ways, though, it comes down to what is ECU in terms of consistency, not necessarily we know what Tulane is. I don't think we really know what ECU is. I'm high on them, but I'm high on them to be about a 6-6 six six team. And, you know, Holton Aylers needs to, if they want to beat Tulane, needs to not turn the ball over, and he needs to throw above, like, 65%, because those are things he doesn't do every week. Yeah, I, it, it, that's and very true. Tulane. Tulane. Uh,
0: You mentioned Thursday night games and I'm really glad you did because that transitions us into a five-day turnaround for Tulane between that game and the next game against Houston, which they host on Thursday, October 7th. Now, if you recall the last time that Houston traveled to Yeoman was the game where they ran the fake, the fake, uh, the annexation of Puerto Rico, fake knee annexation of Puerto Rico And then they throw this, the strike that as soon as the thing is like, without trying to traumatize Houston fans too much, once they got that first down, I knew it was over. And I just didn't realize that it was going to be such a, like a just absolute destruction.
1: That was such a fun game to watch because it really felt like
0: Houston was in
1: control for so much of that game. And it just fell apart on them. And that's the game where they, Dana Holgerson basically pulled the plug on the season after and said, all right, we'll try again next year. And that was the our King's last game as a Houston Cougar. That's right. Not to rub it more into those Cougars' faces if they're you know, bothering to listen to us
0: about it. Yeah, it's it was not a good experience for Houston, which makes that tricky. Uh, I think that Houston remembers that. And obviously, they technically got the revenge last year but Houston's going to want to go into Yeoman and come home with the win. And I don't know. I don't have Houston's schedule in front of me, but I would assume that they also play on the second. Yeah, and that would make sense instead of giving one. So they, a long... Cause if one, t- if Houston doesn't have that five day turnaround, then I am not as concerned for them. I think that goes in their favor. Because they're not going to no, have no uh, Houston plays on the first. They're at Tulsa. Oh, so the they have before. one extra. They have one extra day, but still a short turnaround. So mm-hmm. really, it's not an advantage either way, honestly. Uh, so that's that's going to be an interesting game for me, uh, especially when you we talked about this before we recorded the stretch that they have coming up after the Houston game does not make people super optimistic. Even if you look at the next three games, you get at SMU host Cincinnati and at UCF. I don't care what, what way you want to spin it, whether one of you know, if you want to switch who's at home and who's away, it doesn't really matter because that's the, the roughest. It's the toughest three game stretch that you can face in this conference.
1: And that's if you don't consider Tulsa after UCF to be part of that really difficult stretch,
0: which, which that is tough. But when you're talking about the top talent in this conference, those those three teams, it's not, there's not a tougher trio.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do have a buy leading into SMU, but they better take the use of that buy and get healthy and get right for that stretch. Because I mean, I, frankly, I expect it to be three losses, I think that you could try to keep it close with UCF this year. I think that you can score an SMU this year. I don't think that they necessarily win any of those games.
0: Yeah. It's going to be tough for them to not compete because we know that they're capable of competing, but no,
1: I mean, Michael Pratt, I think, could. Ha- I'm thinking about the UCF game in particular right now, UCF's just lost two running backs. Ventavious Thompson left the program. RJ Harvey's done for the year with an injury. Uh, they're going to have trouble running the ball on Tulane into that really good front seven that we were just talking about. So maybe you make them one dimensional and predictable. Uh, I still think UCF throws very easily on Tulane secondary. It's also at UCF. Uh, Michael Pratt can probably also throw into the UCF secondary with relative ease. It's a very young secondary for the Knights that got beaten up pretty good last year.
0: Yep. Um, Yeah. So
1: it's, there's potential. Yeah. You're going to score points on SMU, but I don't know how you stop them. Uh, yeah. sensey, sensey,
0: Since sensey. Yeah. For the time being, Cincy, Cincy. Until proven otherwise. Right. And then, so you mentioned the Tulsa game. Obviously that's going to be a solid, uh, solid game for them. I think that Tulane fans are, you know, they obviously, I remember think they win. The, the meltdown. The six the meltdown that was
1: it wasn't just the overtime pick six last year. It was like an interception to end regulation,
0: right? The, no, it was the Hail Mary by oh, Davis Brin to score mm. uh, yes, to right. tie things up. And then it was in overtime was the pick six. So I think that's a game that Tulane fans don't have circled because obviously there's a, like five other games that they would rather see, but the Tulsa game obviously should not sit well for them. Michael Pratt revenge game. Yeah, Uh, exactly. So that'll be one that I'm interested in watching. And then the the next week they get USF. I don't think they should have any trouble with the bulls there, even if USF is much better. And then I think the intriguing game to end the year is the at Memphis, Mm -hmm. depending on where Memphis is at, if they're competing for a conference title, then I think that they, that Memphis wins this game. But if they're not, if they are where I think they're at, then I think Tulane wins. I
1: think Tulane wins. Yeah, I think Tulane wins that game.
0: I mean, we're talking, we're projecting out, you
1: know, four months in advance at this point. But I think that if they were to play right now, Tulane would win the game. So I'm going to say, with what I have in front of me, Tulane wins that football game, which is, you know, a good way to get in trouble. Right.
0: <laughs> well, and so I look at the schedule as a whole. And it's frustrating because to me, the ceiling for this team is eight and four. I agree. And that's hard because this is a much better team than a eight and four projection.
1: I think seven and five is what's most likely, but I think eight and four is possible. And And I think five and seven is also possible, by the way.
0: I know that's the hard part is because this team could definitely go five and seven you know, but UAB, we, you know, Houston, Memphis, these are games
1: I'm assuming they win, but they could very easily turn around and lose and just boot the game. You know, they should have lost to Navy last year and they lost that game. Could that type of thing happen against an ECU? Frankly, it could. You know, right. they season, don't
0: get Navy or Temple.
1: Yeah, which sucks. It just sucks that you don't get those kind of.
0: Yeah, I think most I, people I, I are okay not
1: playing through. Navy. Uh, we'll we'll give get Navy the exception, but yeah, Tulane's probably definitely okay. Not playing Navy, they give them more trouble than they're worth. Not to mention the cut blocking.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's. I mean, I. I think they would still. Yeah. Probably take I think Navy they'd like, over SMU, they'd, Cincinnati. Saying,
1: they'd probably trade Cincinnati out for a, a nice Temple game.
0: Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's so hard because like even at eight and four, you kind of just feel like this team that live up to his potential, but it's like they have two automatic
1: best record since 1998. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't see how, if you're a Tulane fan, you can feel like that's disappointing when you, like, again, it depends on how they play in a lot of games. This is how I felt about USF. I think USF is going to be better. I don't think the wins will show it. Yeah. It really, you're going to have to watch the games and see like, Oh, that's a throw our quarterbacks in the past wouldn't have been able to make. Oh, we're getting more pressure on the defensive front than we historically have been able to do. Oh, we look bigger. We look faster. We look like we know what we're doing better. And, you know, maybe you're still losing games 27 to 24. Maybe it's not translating just yet, but you have to know from what you've seen and trust your gut that this is in the right direction. And I do believe it's in the right direction. I just believe that might be the hardest schedule in the conference. Outside yeah. the Navy, Navy might have a harder schedule, which stinks for them. But
0: Yeah, so it's – I don't know. It's going to be – because even if Michael Pratt does take a step forward and is just killing it, the, there's just so many dynamics from other teams that make this more difficult. And uh, I don't know. What, what was their non-conference schedule last year? Do you remember uh, what it was supposed to be? I can try to find that really Because I know we tried to do that last week, and I couldn't remember.
1: Uh, the thing with Tulane last year was they were so inconsistent because they couldn't – Keon Howard was not the guy at quarterback, even though they thought he was going to be. Uh, Michael Pratt, and, you know, I really – again, really like Michael Pratt, uh, but he's a freshman, and he, or he was a freshman, and he looked like a freshman at times. Uh, so last year, they played South Alabama and Southern Miss out of conference. They won both those games, and they kicked Southern Miss's tail back to uh, whatever town they're from in Mississippi it is, Hattiesburg. You know, they're going to get mad at me if they hear that. Uh, then they lost the uh, bowl game to Nevada. Nevada is a really good team. There's no shame in that. Uh, they had games against Mississippi State, Northwestern, and Southeastern Louisiana canceled. They would have beaten Mississippi State. It was a bad Mississippi State team. Yeah, you think uh, North- they would
0: have won that game?
1: Do you think they would have gone zone coverage instead of man up? Do you I think they're know. smart enough to do that? I mean, I know they're smart enough. I just don't know if they
0: – I that's, don't know.
1: The only reason Mississippi State beat LSU was because they weren't smart enough to get the hell out of man. <laughs> I mean, that offense once it was – I mean, all you have to do is watch Washington versus Washington State for the last decade to know, oh, zone coverage. That's how you beat them. Right, yeah. Jimmy Lake said something like they're the easy easiest team to prep for because they did the same thing every year. So I yeah. think that I, I trust two lanes coaches to have been ready for that game. Uh, Northwestern. I mean, last year's Northwestern team went to the Big Ten championship game, but they weren't unbeatable. Good, you know.
0: Yeah, I like that non-conference schedule a lot better than I do this one. This one. Yeah, definitely. Which is too bad, but it is, you know it is what it is. I don't know. It's just this, it's not sitting well with me that eight and four is like the best that this team can do. Cause we know there's so much better than that.
1: Yeah. That's why, that's why I tend to say 22 is the year that you're going to want to wait for if you're a Tulane fan, which I know sucks to be told you no know, one more year, just keep waiting, hang in there. Uh, but sometimes that's how it is in the sport. You know, I really love UCF this year. I do but they might have to wait another year for Cincinnati to not have Desmond Ritter returning. You know, it's just how the game is sometimes, you know, I'm going to look at their 22 schedule really quickly. Yeah. Out of state in 2022 Tulane plays the UMass Alcorn state, Kansas state and Southern miss. That's wow. Potentially four wins out of conference right away. Mm-hmm. That's such a world different before you've been getting conference. It's. You know, I mean, you're not gonna end up with a three o'clock game on ABC, but you're going to, get four wins, I think.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. And yeah, like I said, it's, it's tough. Cause yeah, the Oklahoma game, like you said, is on ABC. That's huge for Tulane, the but also means... numbers they're going to put up is going to be so good for the program and for the school as a whole. Exactly. Yep. That, so that's, we have to look at it, even if Oklahoma is bolt racing by 40. So,
1: yeah, I mean, again, it's, we talked about that last week with Tulsa, Ohio State. It's the, tricky thing about scheduling really tough out-of-conference opponents. Yes, you want that exposure. Yes, you want to play a tough out-of-conference schedule and prove that you can compete with the big boys. No, you don't want to get blown out. You know? Yeah. Uh, But hey, on a positive note, Tulane has as many SEC championships as Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Kentucky combined. That's three. The numbers three. Wow. Take out Kentuckians more than all those other ones.
0: Put Tulane in the SEC, I guess. Oh, they were, and they left on their own free will.
1: Wow. Which was in its own right. It was an academic decision, but it was a silly, silly academic decision. Yeah, whatever. And it's 50-something
0: years ago. It's it's history. Yep. Can't do anything about it now. That's for sure. So. But yeah, so Tulane, a team that it's, yeah, I think I'm going to be salty about this for a while, just because I want this team to be so much better. And Franco. I don't know.
1: I, Again, love Michael Pratt. Love what they've got at the skill positions. Really like their front seven on defense. Sorry, that schedule so difficult that you could miss a bowl and still be much better than you were the past three seasons. Right.
0: Yeah. Which sucks. It does, but... Yeah, so that wraps it up for Tulane. That wraps up our season previews. Like I said, you can follow him at Dan uh, Dan underscore Morrison ninety six. Yeah, I don't know why I always forget that. Probably the underscore throws me off. But yeah, I know you're anti underscore. I am, but you know Dan underscore
1: Morrison. There's a lot of Dan Morrison's in this world. Sometimes you need to throw an underscore and to get the handle. There you go.
0: Uh, You can follow me at Joe Broback. And like I said, season previews are now completed. And it means that we are one step closer to the season beginning. So get ready for some two lane football, get ready for some AAC football. It's going to be a fun year. And I, for one, can't waste. That's
1: a wrap on Joe Broback.